When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, now, an interview with Joan Hamburg, my friend, your friend, WABC Radio's friend. I mean, she's been on the station longer than I have. I know Joan Hamburg. You know Joan Hamburg. Everyone knows Joan Hamburg. John Katzenmatidis, who owns this station, calls her, not me, the first lady of radio. She knows everyone. If Madame Curie, who discovered radium, just now got up from the beyond, Joan would have her on the air. Because wherever Madame Curie is now, she'd have heard of Joan Hamburg. Okay, Joan, 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 the beginning. Cindy. What? Yes. Yes, what a great introduction. Thank you. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. Where, where... Where did you grow up? Where? Mother, father, beginnings. I grew up in Lawrence, Long Island, which was then a little town. It was part of the five towns. But when I was a kid, it was fairly rural. Now it's suburban America, suburban New York. And I grew up in a very large extended family. In addition to my parents and my brother, my grandfather lived with us, and he had a whole bunch of kids. So we had the kind of household where there was not a night that there weren't at least 15, 20 people around the dinner table visiting Papa, the grandpa. Every night they came for dinner, my father would roll his eyes in misery. My brother would run upstairs and hide in his room because there was never privacy. There was always noise and so much food. Cindy, you wouldn't believe. My Is mother that how would it all make, started for you? Yeah. When you had to force yourself to talk? You had to force yourself to talk and talk loud to get over the noise of all the relatives. And it's where did also you go to school? You went to Barnard, I went, no? I went to Barnard College, and I went to um, it was a small town then, to Lawrence Public School and Lawrence High School. There weren't a lot of us. Then I ended up, I went to Michigan University for the first two years, and my parents insisted I come back to New York because I had a boyfriend at the time from New York who was a doctor. And God forbid you let a doctor get through your grip in those days. So being a good daughter, I transferred to Barnett College, got rid of the boyfriend, and started my New York adventure. What did you major in in, in Barnett or schools when you came out? Barnett. I majored in American studies, and I wrote a thesis my last year on American architecture. They what let the hell me is literally. That? What, do, what do you know I, from architecture? Well, I thought at the moment, if I couldn't make it as an actress, I might be an architect. So I literally traveled all over the country and interviewed Paul Rudolph and and all the leading architects of 
that time. And it was very exciting. But then, you know, I ended up going what all good graduates did at that time to Speed Writing Institute. Remember those? You would see yeah, if you yeah, can yeah, read yeah, this. Yeah. Well, well, what did you hope to be someday? Did you did you hope to be an architect? I thought I wanted to be an architect. I always loved homes and houses and people's lives and the impact that where they live had on them. But I went to Neighborhood Playhouse on and off through my childhood, and I really wanted to be an actress. I never thought of radio, ever. In those what did days. you do? Did you what did you do? Take up needlework or sell shoes? What did you do to make well, a book? When I when I came out of Barnet, I was part of a theater group, but I also had a job writing copy for a magazine called Coupon Magazine, and it was in the old Belmont Plaza Hotel, this magazine. And it was pictures of a product and a coupon. And I didn't last there very long because I think I may have once even told you this story, but I was the person, you know, the young college graduate allegedly could understand speed writing so I could be a secretary, which is what they called us in those days. And my job was first to go to the magazine and wake up Ouija, the famous photographer, and yeah. Lenny Bruce, the famous comedian, they were friendly with my boss, and they slept on the floor in this office at the old Belmont Plaza. Ouija, every time I woke him up, would say, get away from me, kid, and he'd give me his photographs. as a you know, to shut up, to move away. I had no idea who he was, and I had never really seen Lenny Bruce. I was just out of school. And, you know, when you think about Lenny Bruce... He was really a funny guy. Okay, so how did you get into radio, my job? How did you get more important than I did? How did you get into this? I got into radio because I was writing. I had written a book called New York on $5 a day. And that book did very well. And suddenly I was a writer, like out of nowhere. And I had a job at New York Magazine. And the editor, a wonderful, gifted man, you knew him, Clay Felker. Yes. Clay Felker, who called me one day, and he said, look, I want everyone who works for me to be more than they think they can be. So I want you to audition for a radio show. I said, oh, I couldn't do that. I, I'm not doing that. You know, and I'm an actress, I reminded him. He said, never mind actress. Go audition. They have a guy called Bob Grant, and he's constantly insulting people, and they're always threatened with lawsuits. Go audition. They want a nice person on this radio show. I auditioned. All my relatives, I have this large family, wrote, we never heard radio like that. So guess what, Cindy? I got the job out of nowhere. Right? (laughs) I got hired. I had no clue. I didn't know what to do. But suddenly I was on the radio. Who the was your first, was, who was your first oh VIP personality? You know, I was trying to think of that the other day. I think one of the very early ones was um, not Carol Burnett, but Carol Channing. 
and she lived in a hotel in Times Square. And believe it or not, she would listen to the radio in between gigs all the time, and she became a fan. And she called me one day, and she came right on the air. And that was the beginning of, I met friends of hers, and you know, it's one-to-one. Like, I always marveled how you get all the information you get and how you knew all those people. You were a kid. Listen, did you forget how I did it? I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Did you ever screw up on the air? Of course. We all screw up. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear. Tell me, tell me, tell me. No, I screwed up plenty. I remember, first of all, Peter Strauss. Remember Peter Strauss? Oh, yeah. Because nobody came before me. Nobody, yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Peter Strauss, he he was the one who hired me. And he would constantly, you know, say, don't talk about your life. I said, well, what should I talk about? Peter Strauss (laughs) said, talk about tuna fish. I said, tuna fish? He said, yeah, everyone cares about tuna fish. So that was the beginning. And he literally, Cindy, got me a tutor for radio. And I went to this lady's apartment and she would say, you can't teach anyone how to do radio. I'll give you coffee and we'll talk. But she did say to me, never go on the air without at least four topics you can talk about in case your guest doesn't talk. I can't tell you how many times I've had guests that never talked. Yeah, I know what that is. Did you you ever say, listen, did you ever say a bad word on the air, which is a no-no? I mean, a really bad word. Why did you do that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I have done some of that because I tend to be a little bit free in my speech. But there are seven words or something which we're not allowed to say. Right. But obviously I can't say what they are. Okay. But you never really screwed up. Did you ever really screw up anything? I, I, I screwed up only to the extent when I had a guest who was making me very nervous and it was Good Friday. And I was like, happy Good Friday, everyone. And there was a moment of appalling silence. Like, <laughs> and then I had Pete Seeger was one of my guests that day. And he came to my rescue because the station was very Catholic and they weren't happy about hearing Happy Good Friday. So he gets his guitar and he says, it's a holy day. It's a holiday. Trying to save my behind. So, Listen, and if you, I, I used to yeah. see you at every cockamamie opening. Anything, I know. Any lousy, stinking show that I would walk out on in the middle. I was there. You would sit through forever. You don't go to the, not that we have Broadway any longer, but you don't go to these openings anymore. Yeah, well, during the pandemic, I haven't done it. But hopefully, when things, are you still going to the theater? I'm not even going to the ladies' room. I'm not going anywhere, honey. (laughs) I have been sitting in my house with my lousy housekeeper who's listening to me and who's been with me for 25 years. I'm not going anywhere. I don't feel secure. I don't, I'm just not. So it's very difficult for me. Uh, I don't know about you about getting all the guests and things, but 
it's not that easy because we aren't no. going to galas or red carpets or openings or backstage. I'm not doing it. With none of I'm not. I'm with you. I'm not. I miss theater. I love theater with a passion. My daughter-in-law is an actress. My son is, is you know, the, the sort of yeah. movie theater business. But I, I feel like you at this moment. I know too many people who were sick and still have ramifications. So it isn't, we'll start going soon, let's hope. But right now, we're home. And my refrigerator okay. has become my best friend. No, you I know, understand. My exercise, right? Open it up, close it. We all dine standing honest. up. What do you think it's, of some of today's interviewers? Please don't tell me they're all wonderful because I'm going to throw up. What do no, you think of today's the, interviewers? A lot of them, you know, I was listening to another radio station one day, and I heard the host say, the guy who, who he was interviewing say, well, did you read my book? And he said, no, I don't read books. We have a reader who does all the books. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? Oh, okay. When yeah. I think about you and me, no matter yeah. what, we do our homework. And yeah. you, I just like you see me, I see you when it was doable at everything. At everything. And it makes a huge difference. Some of and the interviewers are... Obviously not prepared. For instance, if I listen to a news program, I have been in these cities like Kabul, Afghanistan. I have been right. there twice. And I hear the person saying, Kabul. I know it's not Kabul because I've been there. They don't understand. And I've heard them say, Iran. It's not right. Iran. It's Iran. So what is happening to the quality of today's interviewers? It's all shortcuts because the younger kids grew up in the computer world and everything for them is a shortcut. You know, they're used to instant gratification. They don't know from reading the books, doing the homework, everything is cut in little bits and it just doesn't make it. I decided when I was a kid and I wrote New York on $5 a day and I had my first radio interview, the lady was asking me all these weird questions. And finally, at a break, I said to her, I'm so sorry, but I don't think you're talking about my book. And she started screaming. Her assistant had given her someone else's book. She never bothered <laughs> to look at any of them. And it was like I was shaking because it was, I thought, you know, my first interview. Anyway. Later on, when I got a radio job and television, too, I swore I would read every damn book. I would go to everything if I was going to talk about it. And I do. And you do. And that's what makes a difference. Plus, we're Well, friendly. I've had a couple of bad times. I mean, a thousand years ago, when Fox TV started... And they started with a TV show called A Current Affair. I had Raquel Welch, who was a real pain in the mm. ass. I do hope you're allowed to say that word on television, yes. on radio. She was a pain in the ass. So she she was three blocks away from the studio, and she wanted a limo to take her there. Then she wanted her own um, photographer. Then she wanted her own lighting man. And when I asked her, this was a three-minute interview on something she wanted. She wanted it promoted. So I said to her, well, Raquel, are you difficult to work with? 
And she said, no, but you are. And she took off her microphone, walked (laughs) off, and left me sitting there in the chair all by myself. You never had a bad experience like that? Oh, I actually had Billie Jean King, the wonderful tennis player, walk out of my radio show. The same kind of thing. And she was a major tennis star then. And my producer... She had said to my producer, well, what are you going to ask? And my producer said, well, I don't really know because, you know, she doesn't necessarily write the interview in advance. But I'm going to suggest she asks not only about your tennis, but about your life, about being gay in the world of sports. And she got so angry (laughs) and she literally took off. I never saw her or heard from her again. What did you do with dead air? How did you fill it? Oh, it's really frightening. That's the old radio coach that Peter Strauss got me. Never come without four things you can talk about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, when I was on Live at Five on WNBC with Sue Simmons, I was on for 5,000 years. My contact lens in a tight close-up, the damn thing rolled right down my face while I was doing Live at Five. I mean, everything has happened to me, for God's I sake. I know. Okay, but one last what? question before they throw me off here. How do you prep? Yes. How do you prepare your questions in advance? I don't. I read whatever. I read all of their books. And I like you, we go to theater, we do all of that. And I keep notes and then it turns out once we start talking I forget about the notes and I just usually let it go but I do do a lot of homework on everyone if it isn't someone that I know very well and you know over the years you and I know a lot of people and it makes a difference <laughs> yeah, because a lot and of I people. know that you are so terrific the first lady the first lady of radio. And now I have to go and make a living and do some other things. And I love you, Joan. Are you going to have dinner with me one night? I can't wait. Thank you, Cindy. You are gracing ABC. And you don't know how excited I am to work where you work. I've Thank always you, been one of your Thank biggest you. Thank fans. you for coming on, honey. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.